I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress and the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of of lords this episode is titled who is that riding on the white horse Welcome to Preach the Word with Brother Dean Carmichael of Greensboro. And now let's welcome our dear friend, Brother Dean. So we come here to the book of Revelation, and this is the dispensation of the tribulation. We're at the very end of it. There's the Battle of Armageddon. And now we're on the day of the Lord, which is the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is when he's going to come. He set up his millennial reign. Right now, we are living in the age of grace. This is the church age. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 talks about the day of Christ. You probably know that as the rapture. And that is going to be the end of the church age. That is when we will be taken out of the world, and we will not experience the wrath that is to come, which is the dispensation of the tribulation. Now, I will go into detail a little bit more about what those dispensations are later in the message. But looking here at the book of Revelation, it is divided up into three parts, and there are the things which were, which is very briefly, the things which are, and then the things which shall be hereafter. And the things which shall be hereafter, that is the judgment, which is the, the tribulation, the great tribulation, that's going to happen for seven years here on this earth. The first three and a half years will be the tribulation period. The last three and a half years will be the great tribulation period. The Antichrist will rise, he'll rule, he'll turn on the Jews. 
There's going to be peace, war, famine, death. There will be seals. There will be trumpets. These are all judgments that God is laying out on the earth. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And it's all going to come to a head here at the Battle of Armageddon. And when you look at Revelation 19, 11 through 16, the question I want you to ask yourself is, who is that riding on the white horse? And before we answer that, let's start out with who it's not. Who is not riding on the white horse? First of all, that rider is not a fake. If you look at Revelation chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, and I'm going to put all these texts in the show notes, but Revelation chapter number 6, verse number 1 and 2, and there's another white horse I want to bring your attention to. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw... And behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So let's be very clear on something. This is not the same individual in Revelation chapter number 19. They're both riding on white horses, and they seem similar, but they are not the same individuals. This individual is an imposter. They're a fake. This is none other than the Antichrist. There's the, the beast out of the sea. A political leader for the first three and a half years is going to be his rise. The last three and a half years will be his reign. And his entire purpose and his entire, just his goal is to destroy the work of Christ and his people. He's known as the little horn, the king of fierce countenance, the prince that shall come, the man of sin, the son of perdition, that wicked. He's known as many names. And he's going to come on a white horse. But remember something. He is an imposter. You have the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That is where the the tribulation starts, if you will. That is the very first. You have the four horsemen, the peace, war, famine, and death. So you have a, a white horse, a red horse, a black horse, and then a pale horse. You can read about that I read the first part of it there in Revelation chapter 6, but you can read about it more and, and read on in the chapter. But that, that white horse does represent peace, but it's only going to be a temporary peace. It's not a real peace. It's a false peace. Please remember something. Satan cannot create. He can only counterfeit. Look at pornography. Look at adultery. Look at the way things are sexualized in our day and the sexual perversion that is going on. Satan is only counterfeiting something beautiful that God has created. And that is what God created in the bonds of holy matrimony between a husband and a wife. When you look at uh, how God has, has given us marriage he's instituted us marriage and you look at um, how how we're designed and, and just how the family how God has created all that it's a very beautiful and wonderful thing 
But what does Satan do? Satan can counterfeit that. And that's just one of many, many examples of how Satan cannot create something, but he can counterfeit it. He can counterfeit to where a person can try to fulfill uh, that, that emptiness that they have. They're wanting truth. They're wanting peace. They're wanting joy. They're wanting something that they can only find in Jesus Christ, and all Satan can do is counterfeit them something. Well, nothing is different here. You have an antichrist. There is going to be peace, but it's not real peace. It's, a, it's, it's counterfeit. And so when you look at Revelation chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, look at that white horse. What is the next color of the very next horse? It's red. If that was real peace... That red horse represents war. If it was real peace, there wouldn't be war that followed. So, when we look at Revelation chapter number 19, and we ask ourselves the question, who is that riding on the white horse? We know it's not the Antichrist. We know it's not a fake. We know it's not the same individual who's riding on a horse in Revelation chapter 6. We also know that the rider is not a failure. Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Not only is this writer not a fake, which is the Antichrist, this writer is not a failure. When you go back and read Revelation chapter 19, and you read those verses, and you read how this whole thing, the, the tribulation period, the battle of Armageddon, and go back further, go back further, go all the way back. This does not start in the book of Revelation. This is a continuation of the story. Go, don't go back to the beginning of the New Testament. Don't go back to the Old Testament prophets or the historical books. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Go all the way back to how Satan, how he counterfeited, how he tried to, to, how he did, how he deceived Eve, and in in thinking that it would be okay to eat of this fruit, and if you eat of this fruit, you'll you'll have this knowledge and you'll become like God, and all these different lies that he told her. Mankind failed, and if this was a Hollywood movie man would be riding on that white horse. We would find a way to make things right. We would find a way to, to earn ourselves to God and be accepted in his favor. That's what tr Cain tried to do. Did you know that Cain is the father of false religion? I believe that what Cain brought before the Lord was the best thing that man ever could have made on their own. I believe that sacrifice was a beautiful sacrifice, and it was his very best. However, it did not meet God's terms of salvation. There was no blood sacrifice. Cain tried to do it on his own. And I'm here to tell you that this rider of the white horse is not mankind. He does not represent 
the Adamic race, which is the race of Adam. He is not... John, in, in Revelation chapter 5, let me just interrupt myself there by saying this. John said he wept bitterly because he looked for a man. He, he tried to find a man in Revelation chapter number 5, verse number 1 through 4. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written, and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book? and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Romans chapter 3, verse number 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. One of the most, I would say, probably, well, I'm going to make like a top three here, but I would say one of the most quoted verses, misquoted verses, um, in the entire Bible is found in the book of Genesis. And that is right after the fall of man and I think you know where I'm, I'm going with this. But Genesis chapter number 4. Genesis chapter number 4. And verse number 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What do you hear most of the time? You hear individuals, they quote that verse and they say that Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. Well, that's not in the Bible. We can assume that, but that's all we can ever do, is assume that Adam walked with God. We can put two and two together and say that Adam was not created as a puppet, which that is true. God gave Adam free will. God did not create Adam just to be a robot and do everything... If he did, there would be no fellowship. There would be no relationship there. So Adam had to obey God in order to have that fellowship with him. And Adam chose to disobey God. And so sin came upon the, the, the world. We can assume because Adam and God, there was fellowship there before the fall, that they did walk together in the cool of the day, but that's not in the Bible. That is only us assuming that there is... That really is us taking a verse and misquoting it. That's not what the Bible says. Because in that particular verse, it is impossible for Adam to be walking with God. Impossible. And the reason I use such a strong word is because the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Adam just disobeyed God. Where is Adam? He's, he's trying to make himself clothes so he can cover his nakedness. Adam's hiding. Adam isn't walking with God. He's hiding. Adam is running from God because he failed. And I don't know why so many people misquote that verse, but sometimes, whether we mean to or not, I think we wish it were in the Bible that Adam walked with God. But friends, we must understand something. 
The only way that we can walk with God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you read on in the story, because it is God who goes looking for Adam, that's the wonderful grace of God. He does the same thing with Cain. When Cain brings him his sacrifice and God rejects it, before Cain kills Abel, if you read on in the story there, God goes looking for Cain. That is a wonderful chapter in the book of Genesis showing God's grace. And when you look, when you look at this, this story about how, how Adam failed God, and he goes and he hides, and God asked him, he he's 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 talking to him. He said, "Who you know? Who told you that you were naked?" And and we know how the story goes. There, we'll look on. After the first prophecy is given in Genesis chapter three, verse number fifteen, Adam calls the name of the woman Eve, and he is putting faith that God is going to send a redeemer, just like he says in Genesis chapter three, verse number fifteen. And notice something. As soon as Adam calls his wife Eve, they are clothed. The blood of an innocent is shed, and they are covered with those, with those skins. And that is nothing more than a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have to understand something. Adam failed. Mankind failed. We cannot do anything to earn our good graces with God, to be able to be accepted into heaven because of our sin. And that is hard for us sometimes. That is hard for us. The Bible tells us that there's none good but God. But yet, we like to think of ourselves as good. I mean, think about, for example, Jonas Salk, the man um, who helped cure polio, Winston Churchill, FDR, George Patton, Douglas MacArthur, Harry Truman. They fought evil Nazi Germany. Think of these names, Abraham Lincoln, Fred Rogers, these are all good people. But then I can flip the script and I can mention some other names. Adolf Hitler, Charles Manson, Jeffrey Dahmer, Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, Ed Kemper. These are all individuals who, when you say their names, it, if you know their stories, it is not a good feeling. If, if you know what these individuals did, there are, there's a, a body count of a lot of people who, who died at the hands of these men. They were murderers. They were, they were evil individuals. And when you look at that first group of, of people that I read, and then you look at that second group, well, if you read the Bible, do you understand something? When it comes to sinners, we are all put in one group. The Bible says, for all have sinned. When Jesus Christ died, he died once for all, the Bible says. And when you look at those dispensations, it's very important we understand something. There may be, like I said, there might be, there might be less, there might be more, but I hold that there are eight dispensations. And what a dispensation is, is a certain period of time where God is carrying out a certain aspect of his will. So, for example, there was the dispensation of innocence. That was Adam and Eve in the garden. Then there was the dispensation of conscience. That was all the way up to the flood. There was the dispensation of human government. 
That was then all the way you go to the dispensation of promise. You go to the dispensation of the law. Then you go to the, the dispensation of the church. Because we all know that the law ended at Calvary. So now we are living in the age of grace, which is the dispensation of the church, which is number six. And then you have the dispensation of the tribulation and the millennial kingdom, which is number eight. So I hold that there are eight. That, that's beside the point, though. What does each dispensation have in common? Everyone that I just read, the age of innocence, the age of conscience, the age of human government, the age of... Pro what do they all have in common? What do they all have in common? Every one of them ends in man's failure and God's judgment. The rider of this horse is not Adam. He's not from Adam because Adam failed. So first of all, this rider is not a failure. Number two, or this rider is not a fake. Then this rider is not a failure. And then this rider is not fictional. So there is a fictional character that we have created. And um, he's a great man, but he has an origin. He died on a cross and he did not raise anyone. He, he, he was not able to be raised from the dead. His body was stolen or he's put in the wrong tomb. He accepted sin. He was very open-minded. He lusted after women. He makes mistakes. This is a fictional Jesus. But the, the rider on the horse is not fictional Jesus. And the rider is, is not this individual that has been created by man that he's a great man, but he had an origin. He died on a cross, but he didn't raise anybody from the dead. He accepted sin, and he was very open-minded. He lusted after women. He made mistakes. This fictional Jesus, this is not the, the writer of Revelation chapter 19. This is not the writer of the white horse there. Uh, we must understand that this is just a fictional character. He never existed. There was a man that was from Nazareth. There, there was a, a man who had no origin. He's always been, and he doesn't accept sin, and he knows uh, that, that, that sin will destroy, so he manifested himself in flesh and became a man and lived a perfect life, but still understood and, and was 100% man and, and, and was tempted like we are, but the Bible says yet without sin. And this man did exist, and he did raise from the dead on the third day. And there is an empty tomb to prove that. And that is who we're going to look at here in Revelation chapter number 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. This is not the Antichrist. This is not Adam or son of Adam. This is not, uh, just, not just a man riding on this horse. This is not fictional Jesus. This is not something that we have created. This is the real Jesus. This is the second person of the Godhead. This is Christ, the King of Kings. This is the Word of God. John 5, verse 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. This is the second person of the Trinity, 
of the Godhead. John 1 verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you look at Revelation 1 verse 8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Who is that riding on the white horse? It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Number one, just, just three, three things I want to bring to your attention here. Number one, he's the Son. Look at verse number 11 through 13 of Revelation chapter number 19. And again, I'll have all this in the show notes. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Faithful, true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Look, if, if you would, in verse number 12 there, it says that his eyes were as a flame of fire. This is not baby Jesus. Please understand that. When Jesus Christ comes back, he's not coming as a lamb. He's coming as a lion. When, when you look at Revelation 1, 10 through 15, John sees the sevenfold glory of, of Christ. And he's, he's on the Isle of Patmos, and he's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And what that means is that he is seeing the Lord as he will be on the day of the Lord on his return. And and looking at verse number 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Unto me, fear not, I am the first and the last." Now, the way John sees him there is how he's going to appear on the day of the Lord, which is the second coming. And when you, let's just look at that real quick. Uh, the head and hair, head and hair white like wool, white as snow. That means that he is eternal. Daniel chapter 7 verse 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool, 
His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. His hairs are not white because of his age, but because of his wisdom, his experience, that ancient of days, also called the Son of Man. His eyes as a flame of fire. This is talking about his insight. He's looking at us. He sees everything burned with an omniscient flame. All things are naked and open before him. His feet like unto fine brass as they burned in a furnace. This is talking about his judgment. His authority is mentioned in his voice as a sound of many waters. In his right hand there are seven stars. This is referring to his control. The seven stars, this is the angels of the seven churches. And please note, um, not angelic beings, but messengers, meaning Christ has full control of the church, and all of our power comes from him. Please understand that. The sword that comes out of his mouth. Now, I know I'm going through these very quickly and very briefly, but this is the sword of justice. John is seeing the day of the Lord here. Please remember something. This is not the Bible, okay? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. That's the Bible. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. The sword here is not the sword of the Spirit, but it's the sword of the Son of Man. The sword here is not the sword of the Spirit, but of the Son of Man. It is a two-edged sword, but it's for the protection of his people and the destruction of his enemies. His face, his countenance, was as the sun shineth in his strength. That's his glory. Try staring at the sun, you can't do it. Mount of Transfiguration, his face did shine as the sun. In New Jerusalem, there will be no sun because Jesus, the Lamb, is the light. He's eternal. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's a righteous judge. He has all authority. He's in control of the universe. In verse number 13, he's clothed with the vesture dipped in blood. This is not Calvary's blood because Isaiah 63 verse 1 through 6 tells us for the day of vengeance is mine is in mine heart. There was no vengeance in Christ's heart at Calvary. The day of the Lord is going to be different. He's not coming back as a lamb. He's coming back as a lion. There's going to be uh, the king is returning to redeem his chosen people from the power of the Antichrist and from the nations and the armies of the world. And this is not, this is not, um, the, they are in verse 13, clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. That is not re- referring to Calvary. Please understand that. When you look at verse 13 also, the, the word of God, for there are three that bear re- record in heaven. I read that earlier. There was a man who lived in Nazareth. He had a mother named Mary. She did not give him his deity. He was God manifested in the flesh. He was a great man, but he's a perfect man. He died on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead. His body was not stolen. He was not placed in the wrong tomb. His body was missing because he arose. He did not accept sin, but became sin for us. He never made a mistake. In fact, he sat down on the right hand of the Father after he ascended because his work was perfect. His work was finished. Number one, we see the Son. Number two, we see the Savior. Look at verse number 14 in Revelation chapter 19. 
And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. He is coming on a white horse to declare victory, and those that are going to be with him are the redeemed. We're going to share his triumph. That is the saints, and we're saints because of him. We're wearing white because we've been declared righteous in his blood. He's our Savior. No works, no law, no family, no birthright. Just the blood of Jesus is what saves a person. Please understand something. The first Adam failed. Jesus Christ was the last Adam. The last Adam made it possible for us to get to the Father. 1 Corinthians 15, 45-47 states, And so it is written, The first man Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of earth earthy, the second man is the Lord from heaven. We see that the man Adam was a failure, but we see the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, was the last Adam. He sat down at the right hand of the Father because he died once for all. He is our propitiation. He is our substitute. If you think that you could earn your way to heaven, what you're saying is, is that you will be able to make yourself equal to what Jesus did on the cross. And that's, that's impossible. We cannot make ourselves equal to Jesus Christ. We can't do it. Repentance is a change of mind. And we must understand that there is absolutely nothing that we can do to get ourselves to heaven, to get ourselves in God's grace. People ask the question, you know, if there was a God, uh, why, why would he send people to hell? Please understand something. God does not send anyone to hell. The Bible tells us very plainly that hell was created for Satan and his demons. Mankind sends themselves to hell when they reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's the same thing with the story of the flood. You can ask the same question. Why would a loving God send a flood to, to destroy the world? Please understand something. It took Noah over a hundred years to build that ark. God was long-suffering. But God cannot accept sin. We must understand this in, in, in this story of our redemption. God cannot accept sin. He is a righteous God. He is a holy God. And mankind, men and women, made the decision to continue to live in rebellion. A loving God sent an ark to save those who would put faith in him and obey him. And it was only Noah and his family. Just like a gracious and loving, wonderful God sent us his son to become that substitute for us and die on the cross for our sins. He is our savior. And then last of all, he's the sovereign. Look, if you would, in verse number 15 and 16. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture 
and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Um, if you look at Psalm 2, um, verse number 10, Be wise now therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled. But a little, blessed are they that put their trust in him. That psalm is referring to uh, the, the reign of Jesus Christ. And it, it talks about the rod of iron there. This is referring to, in, in this verse, the 1,000 year reign of Jesus Christ. He's going to set that up. It, it, it will not end. It will continue on forever. Um, this is only one phase of his, of his eternal rule. So please understand that. It's going to be like an age of innocence. And the church, the bride, we will reign with Christ. And when you, when you look at the Battle of Armageddon, which is right before the 1,000-year millennial reign, when you look at that battle, at the end of that battle, the Satanic Trinity, something happens. So what's the Satanic Trinity? You have Satan, the Antichrist, and the False Prophet. It's, it's contrary, it's opposite of the... the the Godhead, the, the, the Trinity, which is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Satan has his own Trinity. It's, it's Satan, the dragon, you have um, the Antichrist, and then you have the false prophet. So the false prophet and the, the Antichrist, they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire at the end of the Battle of Armageddon. But Satan will be bound in the bottomless pit for that 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ. And when that 1,000 years is up, Satan will be loosed, and he's going to go out, and he's going to deceive. And there will be one more battle, which is the battle of Gog and Magog. And there's going to be a fire from heaven. It'll be over very quickly. And that's when you're going to have the great white throne judgment. And there'll be a revelation of the earth by fire. Second Peter 3, 10-13, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief of the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, Look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Uh, that word sovereign is a supreme ruler. And when Jesus Christ comes back, he is coming back to rule and reign. It will be a theocracy, and he will rule and reign forever and ever. So who is that riding on the white horse? It's not a fake, which is the Antichrist. It's not a failure, and it's not a fictional character. It's the Son it's the Savior, and it is the Sovereign. Until next time, may the Lord bless you. Thank you for listening to Preach the Word with Brother Dean Carmichael from Greensboro. You can email Brother Dean, preachtheword87 at outlook.com. Preachtheword87 at outlook.com. You also can follow our dear friend Brother Dean Carmichael on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Dean Carmichael Jr.